lesson of modern education is Woke kids step, wise kids step, college kids step I'm woke Read more, learn more, change the globe You must learn This is Woke Wise College Kids Hi guys, welcome to Woke Wise College Kids. It's your host, Dr. Erin. And on this episode, I have the privilege of having my wonderful co-host again, our intern, Maggie. Welcome, Maggie. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Erin? Good. Well, on this episode, we are talking about Sexual Awareness Month. And on our previous episode, we had Dr. Penny Smith, who gave us the bird's eye view of really policy procedure related to campus sexual assault. And Dr. Penny herself was actually a a survivor of campus sexual assault. So that episode was a really great episode. If you haven't caught it, um, be sure to listen to the episode. It has a lot of great gems. We talked about Title IX and the Cleary Act, which the government put in place to help make our college campuses a lot safer. And since this is a show for college students and we want that personal touch and story, this episode, we have a very special um, topic or point of view. And And Maggie is actually going to share her experience in order to help others in their situation. And both of these episodes are really about awareness, prevention, and even helping survivors heal from their experiences. Yeah, so thank you, Erin. Um, so today's, I just want to give a true warning a little bit. Um, today, I will be talking about my experience on sexual assault. Um, you know, it's very unfortunate that on a lot of campus college campuses, um, many men and women all experience uh, assault. Um, you know, according to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, one in five women and one in 72 men will be raped at one point during their lifetime. Um, 22 to 25 percent of college women, you know, have been assaulted and 15 percent of college men have been assaulted. Um, at least two thirds of college students have experienced some form of sexual assault, whether it's harassment or um, actually aggravated assault. Um, and many people experience assault and harassment in one form or another. Um you know, today we're going to be talking about my own survival narrative um, and how I navigated my assault and my healing process while I was at the university. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess kind of a good way to kind of start this is, you know, the person that assaulted me was someone that I knew. Um, I was in my summer of going from my second year to my third year um and funny enough uh according to the same resource center um college freshmen and sophomore women are a greater risk of being victims of sexual assault um than upperclassmen um and 84 percent of the women who have reported sexually coercive experiences um that usually happened during the first four semesters on campus. So for me, it happened like, you know, my during the summer in between my second to third year. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a classmate of mine from a sociology class that I had met and we had kind of, you know, hit it off. Um, Came an acquaintance, you know, we had class assignments. That's how we really got to know each other. 
Um, and then, you know, I realized he hadn't taken an interest in me when he asked for my number and uh, he asked me out a couple times. And at first I was really hesitant just because, um, you know, he was older than me and when he hung out, it kind of seemed like, oh, he kind of just wants to. I was going to be like, oh, late night. I don't know. Like for me, I didn't date a lot when I was in high school. Um, mm-hmm. So this is kind of a whole new experience for me. And finally, when I said yes, I was like, you know what? Yeah, but I made sure, you know, it's going to be in the daytime. So that way, you know, where are my surroundings? Because anything happens. Um, just because uh, my mom actually is also a survivor of sexual assault. Um, so growing up, I very much had this mentality kind of instilled in me to always be very aware of your surroundings, um, mm-hmm. to always walk around, you know, from walk around late at night, make sure I have my phone on or make sure I have keys between my, my knuckles, um, especially going away to camp college, just because my parents, you know, they didn't know what was going to happen to me when I left. Um, no one knew this would happen to me. Um, but this was one of kind of like their deepest fears, unfortunately, um, that didn't happen. Um, and so kind of like growing up with that mentality of, you know, not very, very trustful of men or people that I didn't know. I'm always mm-hmm. trying to be vigilant. Um, I kind of try to maintain that same vigilance when I left to college. Um, but like I said, you know, th- unfortunately with assault, it's something you can't predict will happen to you. It's something you can't just you can try to keep yourself in safe situations as much as you mm-hmm. want to try to be aware of your surroundings and who you're with and make sure you're taking care of yourself. You know, you, these kind of things are out of, I want to say out of our hands to a certain extent, but they are. Um, and something I want to, you know, really express to everyone, you know, something I deal with a lot and I kind of still struggle with is the whole blaming myself for putting myself in the situation. Um, and, you know, going on that date. And I think maybe if I hadn't gone that date, maybe if I hadn't, uh, I guess made myself seem like I was so eager to go on a date with him, even though I knew I wasn't, even though I knew I still was like very hesitant to even go out with him since he was older than me. Um, mm-hmm. he had just graduated. He would just finished one last semester, one last quarter. Um, so he could finish up some last assignments, but I, you know, I was kind of, you know, excited. I was like, oh, like this, you know, this upperclassman's taking interest in me. And, you know, he seemed like a really good person. Um, and so, you know, I said yes. And then the day of the date came, we went out for coffee and, you know, we really hit it off. Um, and one thing led to another and he asked me if I wanted to go continue a conversation, um, at his, uh, beach patio. Because um, over where I went to at UCSB, there's this one drive that's called Del Playa that has beautiful beach views. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I wouldn't mind going, hanging out a little bit um, before I had to go to work. Um, and so went over to his patio and, you know, the conversation was so great. And then I went me over to hang out in his room and watch a movie. And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's getting kind of late and I got to get ready for work. Um but, you know, in my head, I was very comfortable with this person. I had thought this was, I was like, okay, I know, I know where I am. I know I'm going to leave. Like, at any point, you know, if I don't feel safe, I know I can get up and go. Mm-hmm. Um, that later was not what ended up happening, unfortunately. Um, so, you now we're hanging out in his room, watching Netflix. And then, you know, one thing led to another. And we started kissing. And at first, it was all very consensual. Um 
Mm-hmm. And something I really, really, really want to make an emphasis. Um, consent is so key in understanding your boundaries and having your partner, whoever you're with, whether it's your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, if it's just, you know, someone you're dating, consent is so important because this is where campus safety isn't putting emphasis on consent. This is where everything gets blurred. Mm-hmm. This is where people start blaming the victim. This is where people are confused as to, oh, did that really happen? You know, because she was drunk or something. And it's like, no, um, I let him know exactly what I was willing to do. I let him know, you know, what making out is okay. It's fine, you know, but I don't want to have sex. Mm-hmm. And at first, you know, he listened. He's like, okay, yeah, 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 no problem. Like, I totally understand. I'm not even here trying to force you to have sex. It was just more just hanging out, having a good time. And then I felt guilty, right? Because then I'm like, oh, no, like, I kind of turned him down. And then this is where the victim blaming comes into play. This is where psychologically you know I started to doubt myself and I was like for the longest time I struggled with letting myself know that what happened was not my fault what happened was he didn't listen to my boundaries he didn't listen to the fact that I told him I didn't want to have sex and you know he still pushed it and pushed it and pushed it and when I said no I don't want to do this stop he didn't listen and for me, when it came to my fight or flight instinct, um, I kind of just stopped fighting. Mm-hmm. I froze. Um, and not saying anything, me freezing up should have been his key to be, oh, no, she doesn't want to do this. Let me just stop. And instead, he kept going. Um, and as a result, you know, I was raped. Mm-hmm. Um And afterwards, I was kind of just like in shock because I didn't really realize like what had just happened. Like I knew, but I was kind of just so zoned out, so out of it in that moment that when I realized what had happened, I was just kind of like, you know, what the heck? Like how how did he think this is okay? And afterwards, he was kind of like, well, that was great, right? And I kind of just looked at him like, are you serious? Like. And then he's like, well, can I see you again? And I kind of just got up and left. And he, you know, he was just like, oh, I guess, you know, call me sometime. And he didn't really care to see, like, are you okay? Like, I'm sorry. Like, in his mind, he didn't think what he did was wrong. And, like, I, I stood there and I was like, I didn't want to have sex. And then he's like, well, you made it seem like you wanted it. So, and that was one of the moments where I knew what happened was wrong. I knew I didn't consent to sex. I verbally told him, I don't want to have sex with you. And he didn't listen. He only cared about himself. And when it seemed like I was panicking, he said, well, you seem like you wanted it. And then that moment kind of made me feel like this was all my fault. And that was something I carried for me for a good year and a half And when I left his place, I knew I could have gone and reported it. Um, But I made the decision that I didn't want to 
I wanted to just go about the rest of my day and the rest of my life as if nothing had happened, as if it was normal. As if what happened was like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, that was my fault. I should have, I shouldn't have even gone over. I shouldn't have even agreed to the date. I should have pushed him off. I should have fought back. I should have done anything in my part to let him know this wasn't okay because I had grown up with someone that let me know no matter what, you know, you were in charge of your body. What you says go, what you say goes. And if you don't want to do something, you know, you have every right to leave. But because I didn't leave because I felt I felt frozen in that moment, I felt for a very long time that it was my fault that, you know, I put myself in that situation. And, you know, I've heard horror stories from other survivors, especially going on a college campus that unfortunately, you know, a lot of the time when they went to either disclose that they were raped at the hospital or to the police station, you know, um, more likely than not, they felt very unsafe, both by the police presence and not being believed by the person that was taking down the report. Um, well, yeah, most of the time, a lot of police stations try to send in, you know, female sheriffs or female police officers to take the story down to kind of make um, the victim feel kind of give some sense of safety at that moment. Um still very aggressive. Um, unfortunately, I know two other people um, before I was assaulted that had disclosed to me that they were, you know, assaulted and their experience with the police officers were very, you know, harsh that they didn't feel like they were believed that they, you know, pressured them like, Oh, are you drinking? Were you sure you didn't say yes? At one point, did you take it away? And they said they take away consent. And did they think that you were joking? And it's, it's unfortunate that that is something that does happen when you do go to report it. Um, and then also you know, knowing and hearing on the news, you know, how there are thousands and thousands of rape kits that are just waiting in evidence that haven't been tested and that some people who the whole process of trying to persecute or to get their, you know, rapist put behind bars, that it just doesn't go through, that it takes a long time and it's, you know, the emotional and physical trauma of having to go over your story over and over and over, both, you know, with your lawyer, with your family, you know, with the jury, with the judges, that it's just some people kind of to a point where it's like, what's the point? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to put myself somewhere where, well, yes, you know, the rapist is seen as well they're, you know, they're a bad person, you know, they did this to you, but then also it's kind of like, why were you putting yourself in that situation? Um, and for me personally, I think it was more kind of carrying both the sensation that I felt like at that time, looking back at it, I felt like everything was so blurry, but now as an adult, you know, going through therapy and realizing that, no, I made it very clear multiple times and he just chose to ignore it and that it's not my fault that you know I again I didn't know that was going to happen to me I didn't know he was going to take me I didn't know it was going to end that way but it did and I don't personally I don't regret my decision 
I, I'm not glad though I did things the way I did. I'm not glad that, you know, I didn't tell people afterwards. I waited, I think I waited like seven months afterwards and I told my roommates um, mm-hmm. and it wasn't another three months until afterwards that I actually started going to seek help for it. And it wasn't, and yeah, they encouraged me to, but I think it was, I wasn't at a place where I was ready to confront my own trauma. Um, mm-hmm. again, growing up with the mom that was a survivor, it was like, you should have known better. Kind I should have known better. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And even then it was the whole, like, if I let my trauma take hold of me, when I made the, when I had the decision to, okay, I can go to the position right now. Like I could go like get tested right now, go to the hospital, get a rape kit, or I can go home, take a shower and get ready for work and act like nothing happened and go about my life. Um, I chose the other route because I knew if I let myself go through this whole process, I wasn't sure emotionally if I was going to be able to handle everything that would happen afterwards, you know, mm-hmm. because it's very, exhausting it's a very tiring it's a very it's a traumatic experience you know having to go over what happened step by step with multiple people and it's it's being vulnerable in ways you can't even imagine and back then maybe I wasn't able to handle it emotionally maybe I just didn't want to deal with it maybe because I felt like so much guilt that it was my fault but even now like I know it wasn't and but because I did things that way, you know, I was able in a lot of ways to heal by focusing on my schoolwork um, mm-hmm. and getting reinvested in making sure that I need to get out of here in four years. Um, while that's probably not the healthiest way to deal with things, for me, that's how eventually I was able to, like after telling my roommates, telling one of my grad student friends, being able to finally go and seek therapy because I then I had the resources to go to I had then had a support system that was like okay go to the women's center talk to them you know if you want to even though yeah like I did like I said I took I went home afterwards I took a shower um I threw my clothes in the wash and I just got ready for work and I acted like nothing happened because I didn't want any single trace I felt so disgusting and I didn't want anything to linger on me that I just wanted to go and act like nothing happened and then one of my friends asked me how my date went I was like oh yeah it went great um but I don't think I'm gonna see him again and them asking me why I'm kind of just brushing it off because I didn't want to deal with it I didn't want to explain to them what happened I didn't want them to think like well you asked for it you know because in a majority mm-hmm. of the time as we see in society as we see in social media um oftentimes you know the victims are blamed and I wish things were different. I wish victims were more believed in. I guess now with the whole Me Too movement, um, a lot of people are coming out with their own narratives, and that's the more important part. It's telling their experiences so other women and other victims and why I'm doing it now so they know that they're not alone. Um, Because the kind of guilt you carry with that is a huge weight that can cause anxiety, depression, um, 
mm-hmm. it's caused one of my friends to take a whole year off mm-hmm. of school trying to deal with her with her sexual assault um and it's extremely unfortunate that that's so prevalent you know as we talked earlier with the you know, statistics and how like you said earlier you know over half of all sexual assault victims do not testify do not tell people that they were assaulted um and yeah I am one of those stats you know I I waited and then after going to therapy you know a year later and actually deciding to do the work to go work through it to do the journals to talk to my therapist about what happened to remind myself that what happened was not my fault that I needed to stop blaming myself that everything that happened was because he didn't want to listen to consent and no matter what um Regardless that I did what was best for myself as a survivor, I did what I had to do in order to make it to that point so that I didn't like it to take over my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, you know, there were times that after and this is mostly post-grad, you know, um, I struggled a lot because, you know, regardless of, you know, going to therapy and doing the work to work on myself and to eventually tell my family since I didn't wait until almost a year and a half later to tell my parents and how to tell them. Um, And that is something that no one's really ready for. Um, And I think me personally, I struggled with it again because my mom was a survivor right so and everyone in the family knows my mom's a survivor you know unfortunately many women in my family are survivors of sexual assault and because of that we kind of hold ourselves to like oh we should all know better it can never happen to us um and kind of breaking down and you know having to tell my mom like no this this happened to me and I wish it didn't and then unfortunately the whole kind of trauma of her kind of outing my story to the rest of my family without me being ready um, and I also want to talk about, you know, how important that is, you know, with, when you're ready to tell your story, you don't have to tell everybody. You can tell one person at a time about what happened to you because something that happens when you retell your story is you relive every single moment yeah. of your assault. Yeah. And unfortunately for me, when I told my mom, you know, and she wanted to kind of get it out there to kind of get it done with until my dad. Um, it did take a moment of agency away from me. Um, and that hurt a lot. But looking back at it, I know she did it because she wanted me to kind of start the healing process already, even though I was doing it at my own pace. But for those of you who are out there who know someone who's gone through sexual assault that is maybe dealing with it right now, um, there is no rush to tell your story. There is no rush in the healing process because every day will be a struggle. Every day you might get triggered. Um, and I still have triggers to this day that I'm working through certain scents, um, certain sounds. Um, and there is no rush. There is only you doing the work that is going to help you eventually, whether it's journaling, whether it's painting, whether it's talking to a therapist, whether it's recounting what happened and as hard as that might be and as difficult and emotionally 
overwhelming, there's going to be a day where you can talk about it and yeah, your voice might still crack like mine is right now, but, um, you're going to be okay. And whether you just take the decision to, you know, go and report your rape or to wait or to not do it at all, you know, that is on you, on your own agency. Um, and what I wish someone would have told me was that regardless of the decision that you make, you know, you are not at fault. None of what happened was your fault, whether you were drunk, whether, you know, you came up considering you had said you considered it at first and you took it back, whether you didn't at all, none of it is your fault, you know? And I think part of also why I felt so hesitant to want to report was because, you know, I knew the person, you know, I trusted the person. Mm -hmm. And even if you trust the person and if you know the person, you know, and you're afraid how things might get awkward or weird or you don't want to ruin their life, they already ruined yours. They already hurt yours to an extent. So the best thing you can do is to put your life and yourself first and do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself. Um, and whether from there going, you know, like I said, trying to get help, like I said, whether it's disclosing to your family. And I think one thing I learned through my mom was how through disclosing to my dad and talking it out with him is how she was able to get through it. Um, for me, that was going to seek an actual therapist eventually and continuing to do that. And then when I couldn't do that, when I couldn't afford therapy was to find um, apps and other mental health services that could help me. Like one I use to this day is, you know, WYSA that has coaches and tools that help you talk about whether it's your anxiety, your depression, you know, assault, um, there are many avenues and now what I use, how I found my my current therapist was therapy for letting eggs and, you know, mm-hmm. seeking out those, using social media as a form to kind of seek out mental health centers that were affordable, that were accessible. Um, because not everyone can afford therapy. Not everyone can get access to those resources. You know, lucky for me, you know, I eventually I did had, you know, the cap center, at my school to first and my first therapist after my assault when I was finally ready to confront my trauma. Um, and many student services on campus that have psychological services on universities and colleges um, that are free. And if you have access to those and if you're ready to deal with your trauma, you know, please, please, please go do the first step. I know it's hard. I know it's overwhelming. I know it's difficult, but that once you take that first step to healing, you will be amazed at how huge of a weight is going to be lifted off your shoulders. Um, and then creating that support system for yourself because that is the only way you're really going to heal. Um, and start coping with it in positive and healthy ways, you know, unfortunately, and I'm going to be honest here, I did not cope with it in the best of ways at first. Like, I didn't want to deal with it. You know, I shut, I decided I was only going to focus on school, but then, you know, I also started partying a lot more mm-hmm. um, because I didn't want to deal with the pain. You know, I didn't want to feel this overwhelming sensation and the constant vigilance. And I partied a lot during that time. And the thing, once I really realized and the reason why my roommates, I told my roommates was because they noticed how I had never really gone out that much until that year. 
and, you know, I disclose to them, like, well, this happened and, you know, there are a lot of more positive ways I could have done it. Um, and some people, yeah, they look to alcohol and drugs, unfortunately. Um, but it doesn't have to be you. That doesn't have to be your story. And if it happened already and if you're doing it, you know what? There's no shame. There is no judgment here. Um, but do, when you're ready, try to find someone to talk to and to talk about it. Because once you start talking about it, as painful as it is the first time, and it's there's always going to be a little pain every time you talk about it, it's less traumatic it's less overwhelming with time after time you won't see yourself as a victim anymore but you're going to see yourself as a survivor and that is the most important thing of all of this you know that there are other survivors out there you know whether it's the me Too movement through to your friends families forces and you know there are so many people who have been in your position you know whether it's cat calling you know whether it's someone attempted assault someone that mm-hmm. actually you know raped you There are so many of us out there, unfortunately, but we're all here and we're all willing to empower and support whatever decision you want to make to your own healing process. Um, um, Do you have any questions for me, Erin? Well, I'm just listening and admiring your strength for sharing it and just thinking about how many students in my past have I I understand that students have underlying issues that any any behavior or or performance in the classroom is not directly tied to studying. It's directly tied to life and I know there's so much stuff going on in the lives of our students that <clears throat> faculty and staff have to be sensitive to the needs. They don't see just a student sitting in your class, see, you know, the student who has an attitude or a student who um, just just not here or attached or engaged. You have to look past all of that and see real people. They're human. Things happen and understand their story. Um, and so listening to you, just thinking back on the students in my past, um, even though I have this, that mentality of, okay, what's the real issue? I know it's not just you come to class. Like, why are you sleeping? Why are you snappy? Mm-hmm. Why are you depressed? Why are you anxious? Um, and digging through all of those layers to, to see. And I know there's a lot of students out there who are dealing with trauma from sexual assault. Um, in the last podcast, I just, I, you know, kind of intro is that college is a, a breeding ground for all the factors where things can go wrong, like sexual assault. And mm-hmm. Listening to you, I know we talk about prevention, um, but it's not even 100% prevention. It's like lessening your chances of that occurring, mm-hmm. but you still can't mm-hmm. control the actions of others. Um, and mm-hmm. so you can't blame yourself. And, you know, once you remove your consent, once you voice your consent, um, that should be it. You can't blame yourself for anything. But, you know, being wise and being vigilant can help. But when something happens, you have to, when somebody violates your boundaries or um your body you have to stick up for yourself and I like what you said like you can't be afraid to mess up people's lives and that's a lot of um a lot of students feel like I have to see him every day he's in my class I've had to have that situation where I had to 
um, you know, remove students and do a whole new schedule for a student before because they've had they were a victim of sexual assault and that person was sitting right next to them in class every day. So just imagine mm-hmm. what what um, burden that was for for her to come to class every day and think about school like no one can think that when this major trauma has happened to you. So, um, you know, I admire the courage to tell your story. You know, I double checked this, you know, just to see, okay, are you still okay with doing it? Because um, I totally <laughs> yeah. would, would understand. He's like, mm, no, it's not the right time. But um, I definitely think, I hope so many people hear this and if they've been affected by it or they know a friend who's been affected by it, that they can um, give them the advice to go and seek help. Don't hold it in so long. You know, tell that one person. You don't have to tell the whole world, but tell that one person who can help you, whether that is um, a therapist um, or if that's a Title IX coordinator who can um, who can help you through the process if you want to report that and make a formal report or not even a formal report, just start the process of acknowledging the violation and that if it's a fellow student colleague, that that person will see some type of consequence. And even with them being expelled or in jail, it's not going to help you. You have to do your own healing and um, like you said, take care of yourself and put yourself first. Um, so I know you talked a lot about it. So if there is, you know, people listening, what like explicitly is your advice? Like from the moment it happens, what is your advice, um, to start that healing process and, and to take control of the experience? I think my, my first step is, Tell someone that you trust. That's that's the first thing you can do. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be like I said. You don't have to go straight away to the police. I mean, if it happens and you're in a place where you're like, I don't know if I want to go report this. Or again, there are also there are so many. There's a huge spectrum of assault, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. you have you know forced coercion where you know you are pressured into saying yes. And then there is actual, you know, physical coercion, you know, where maybe you're beat, maybe you're hurt, like, you know, with the Brock Turner case, um, that kind of extent where there are people who physically have to move the person from you. And, you know, you have all of these physical wounds that, you know, you have to go to the hospital for. And whatever position you are is tell someone that you trust. And then whether if you're at the hospital and you're telling the nurse and start there. And then if you want to report it, you know, more than often they should have some kind of counselor on site to help the victim prepare themselves to give their testimony to a police officer if they want to make Mm -hmm. a case. Um, And, you know, we don't give enough credit to those rape rape crisis counselors um, because those are the people that will make do everything in their power to make sure that you have full agency to make sure that you are comfortable um, before actually giving your testimony. Um, 
And then, you know, once you find your safe person, tell everything you do, you know, at the end of the day, it is your choice, but, and I don't want to, I don't want to pressure anyone to be reporting if they don't have to, but you have to do what is right for you. And if you know you want justice, if you know you want to see either that person behind bars or you want to stop them from ever doing that same thing to anyone else, or if for your own safety, for your own security, you want to know that they can never harm you mm-hmm. again, then mm-hmm. tell someone. It doesn't have to be a therapist. doesn't have to just tell someone. That's the first step in your healing process. That's telling one person. That's it. And if you can't, if you find it's too hard to tell someone, write it mm-hmm. out. Write out your story. You will not believe the power you gain from writing everything out and telling someone. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's like the best I can get for right now. Because um, it is, like I said, it's very painful to tell it out. And even writing it when I first wrote out, um, when my therapist first had me write out everything that happened to me, um, I found myself bawling multiple mm-hmm. times, um, like they were counting it. But once you have everything out, once you have everything written, it's kind of like this huge weight. It's kind of off your shoulders, you know, because um, that's your story. That's your narrative. And if you truth. forget something, there's no you can always go back and remember details and it's different when you're speaking to someone and they're intimidating you in your face and they're asking questions and what happened here and mm-hmm. what did he do did this and that. But I, I can see how writing is um, a good way to record and to do that in a way where you can stop at your, <laughs> when you want to you can go back yeah. and, you know, when you remember things you don't want to, you're not pressured, but you're, you're telling your story in your own terms first before people go and, and tear it apart if, if that is the mm-hmm. unfortunate case. Um, so, yeah, it, it, your situation didn't happen on a college campus, um, but it happened with a student at your, that was enrolled at your school. I think a lot of students mm-hmm. don't realize that regardless if you're in a, enrolled in a school, and this happens, there's a student code of conduct that has to be upheld whether you are on campus or not. And so regardless of where the act took place, whether it's a res hall or an off-campus apartment, you can go and tell or report the act to your um, Title IX or sexual assault um, or campus police, uh, the Title IX coordinator. You can go and report that to your campus officials. Uh, It doesn't matter. He was, you know, he or she still, if they're a student enrolled and it was another act against a student, the campus is definitely responsible for your safety, um, no matter what, where it took place. So keep that in mind. We'll also have some additional resources that you can um, take advantage of if this is your experience. And one of the things that I always tell myself and tell students is that you can never say, oh, they'll never happen to me. Just to be on the safe side, you should know all the the rules, the policies, the processes, and the resources just in case it happens to you or a friend. So 
Maggie said, you know, go and tell someone you trust. But what if that you're that person that someone trusts then you have no idea of telling them where to start? You should always um, keep this information on hand in the back of your mind, just in case if this is you or a friend or family member who comes and confides in you. Um, We have the number to the National Sexual Assault Hotline. It's 1-800-656-4673. There's also a chat service, which can be a little bit less, um, I guess, traumatic or uh, less pressure than talking. There's a chat service at RAIN, that's rainwith2ends.org slash get-help. We'll have that at the end of our podcast as well. Um, And definitely use your school's counseling center, your fees and tuitions pays for that. If for some reason they're full, they always have some type of um, community service that they out they outreach with to make sure you have someone to see immediately. Um, they'll also refer to mm-hmm. you to some low cost services if you don't have enough or if you choose not to go um, use a counselor from your school's counseling center. There's always resources around um, and available to help. Mm-hmm. Um, there's um, I also so have, sorry, so I also some apps I want to share with them that helped me during my process when I didn't have any funds to, for therapy. Um, so one I still use to this day is YSA. So W-Y-S-A, text your daily progress. You have counselors to talk to, uh, to chat with, to give you tools. Um, and they kind of help break down what's going on with you. Um, Dailyo. D-A-Y-L-I-L. It's kind of like more of like a journal diary type of app um, that kind of guides you through your day, um, gives you affirmations, and helps kind of reinforce the positive mentality, you know, while you're going um, through your own trauma. Um, Headspace kind of helps more relax, focus, and manage stress um, because something, you know, that is, it's going to help refocus you in your time. Um, and again, manage with the stress because, you know, like it's, it's dealing with such a trauma like that. Um, you lose sleep, you know, you know, physically you might feel drained. And with this is these kind of apps kind of help you read guide yourself to grounding you, which is one of the most important things I can also stress about this situation. Um, having someone, whether it's a person or having, an app or something writing to ground you and remind you that, you know, you're not in that, you're not in that situation anymore. Um, and that you're on your path to Definitely. So this month is sexual, uh, sexual assault awareness month. I know there, uh, a lot of campuses will be doing denim day pretty soon. And a lot of campuses have a lot of events, um, to, um, bring awareness to campus. I encourage you to, Check your school's calendar and bulletin boards and social media for any events that may be taking place just so you can learn more and support victims and um, be an advocate for this this unfortunate act that's always occurring um, on campuses. Just in just we're in a time, but I think we're in a good time where. Um, there are so many advocates and a lot of survivors like Maggie who are speaking out and telling their story and empowering others to tell theirs. 
So thank you so much, Maggie, for um, for telling your story on this platform. And I hope that if you're listening, you're going to feel empowered, take control of your situation, um, eliminate your personal blame and start your process of healing and that you won't let this experience inhibit your college success. No matter if you have to take a break, take a semester off, um, don't let it derail you. Don't let this one experience get in the way of your own personal success, your own growth, your own healing. Um, don't give anyone that power. I don't care if it is a is a you know complete um, completed rape or someone violated you by touching you when you didn't say it was okay to be touched. Any range of actions that someone takes to violate you um, is wrong. So whether it's sexual misconduct or blatant sexual assault, you need to stand up for yourself, um, take that power away from them, tell others, use your resources and don't feel guilty for it happening. It's not your fault, um, but you do have the power to take control of the situation. Um, well, this has been a great episode. I think um, it's going to be one of my top episodes because I know it impacts so many listeners out there and it's very timely. Um, check out Maggie has written some awesome blogs to go along with um, this episode. So check out her blogs at www.bepreppy.com um, and you'll you'll find a lot of information, a lot of information that we shared today and some additional information that she has written to help others um, on their transition to from being a victim to survivor. So as always, stay woke, stay wise. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you, Maggie, for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Until next time. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. This podcast is sponsored by BePreppy.com, a college coaching company. Head over to BePreppy.com for free college success resources and to learn how you can secure a personal college coach. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on all social media channels at BePreppy.com. LLC.